SCP-3300 The Rain Rain can have a variety of effects on people and places. A little rain while outside can be annoying, while listening to a little rain while inside can be relaxing. A lot of rain can result in damage and loss of life, while too little rain for too long can have a similar effect. Most commonly though, Rain represents dreariness and sadness, but also symbolizes life and rebirth, which all together brings us to SCP-3300. 3300 isn't a world-ending threat or a dark piece of horror, but it is a sad little story about the residents of an anomalous town. SCP-3300 is an event that occurs every year in the town of Clearwater, Montana, typically in June, and lasts for 6 to 18 days, the first 48 hours of which consist of a light, continuous rain over the town. This rain occurs regardless of the weather in the surrounding area. After 48 hours, the light rain transitions to a severe thunderstorm, which lasts until the event is over. Notably, the town has never been observed by the Foundation during a 3300 event. Any attempt by the Foundation to enter during an event results in the total loss of personnel and equipment, or a failure to even enter the anomaly, as personnel walk in and suddenly emerge on the other side of the town. After the event finishes, every citizen of the town is gone, and has been replaced with a new set of citizens with different appearances, personalities, and memories. These new citizens will remark on the severity of the recent storm, but otherwise will show no recollection of the anomalous event and replacement. Residents of the town behave identically to normal human beings, but no record of any of them exists prior to each 3300 event. Additionally, no resident is ever a match for a prior resident of the town, although they will occasionally repeat names, professions, certain memories, and broad personality traits. If a resident of Clearwater is outside of the town when a 3300 event occurs, they will disappear a few days later, although any attempts to observe this disappearance will ultimately fail. Aside from all that, the residents seem to be normal human beings, none of them possessing any physical or mental abnormalities, and they don't seem to have any knowledge of the 3300 event and their strange existence. There's also a secondary effect associated with 3300, similar to a mild anti-memetic effect. Anyone outside of Clearwater that learns about the town or its citizens will quickly lose focus on the subject unless it's again brought to their direct attention. People don't forget about the town, they just have difficulty paying attention to it, even if they personally know someone that disappeared from Clearwater. This effect has likely contributed to the Foundation's overall lack of information on 3300, as despite records of it going back to the beginning of the Foundation, little information has been gleamed about it. The biggest source of information the Foundation has on Clearwater and 3300 a handwritten journal recovered after a 3300 event that ended on June 30th, 1995. The writer has been identified as a young woman named Margaret Lane, 
and it contains a rare description of what goes on inside of the town during an event. Based on the intro to the journal, it seems that Margaret has had a rough past, possibly with drug use. Margaret writes that it might be nice to have something to look back on, hopefully to remind her that things get better. She moves on to describing a recurring dream she's been having, in which she's not herself, but she's in a small hut, standing above her daughter in a bed. Her daughter is ill, with red, blotchy skin, and she prays in the dream that the disease won't take her. It seems whoever she is in the dream had a husband who succumbed to the disease, so she knows what will happen to her daughter. Another healthy person, who she refers to as a boy who thinks himself a man, calls everyone together that is still healthy. The boy grins, gestures to a bowl of water in front of him, and says that he has found the key to their salvation. She then always wakes up from the dream at this point, and has no idea what to make of it. She finishes the journal section by writing that there are gray clouds on the horizon, and that they need the rain. When she writes again, it has been drizzling for three days, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop soon. Phone lines seem to be failing, and the radio says they can expect the weather to continue for at least a week. She mentions someone named David, who showed up and tried to entice her with some drugs, but she sent him away before her mom noticed. She writes that the rain is kind of relaxing, with a rhythm to it, and that she could get used to it. In the next entry, it seems that the 3300 event has transitioned out of the drizzling phase, as Margaret writes that she doesn't think it's ever stormed this hard in her life. The clouds are thick enough to make it look like midnight in the middle of the day, and her throat is sore from having to constantly shout over the noise. Apparently, the weather instantly flipped one moment from drizzling to drastically storming, and now both the internet and phone lines are down. The only broadcasts they've gotten from the radio have been tornado and flood warnings. She finishes the entry by mentioning that she's seen some people walking around outside when the lightning flashes, some of them just standing there. Things really kick off with the next entry, however, as Margaret writes from the back of her friend Jared's van as they speed down a highway. Margaret thinks that she's going to die, and none of them have any idea what's going on. An hour prior, she and a group of friends were at her place playing Dungeons and Dragons. One of them, Isabel, noticed a banging on the door, like someone trying to break it down. They were very suspicious, as it was late, and of course there was a torrential downpour going on, but Jared went to check the peephole. He opened the door to reveal a family of four on Margaret's doorstep, none of them familiar to her. For a brief moment, everyone was silent, until the father of this family shoved past Jared and asked why they were in his house. Margaret's mother comes out at this point and begins to swear and yell at the man. The man began to step forward, but was halted for a moment by Jared. The man then proceeded to grab Jared and fling him across the room, causing Jared to smack against a counter and go limp. The man asks again why they are in his house, 
and Margaret's mother now charges him with a golf club. Things get really weird, however, as she swings the golf club at his chest, and it embeds itself into his flesh. The man appears unfazed by the attack, as his skin ripples and water drips out from where the golf club is stuck. He then proceeded to calmly pull the club from his chest and walk towards Margaret's mother, who was screaming and scrambling away. He then beat her over and over with the club, only continuing to say, My house, my house, in the same tone. The rest of the mysterious family were still in the doorway, watching, and Margaret swears that the wife was smiling. Margaret and her friends fled from the house, grabbing Jared as they did so, and they went straight for the police station. The lights in the station were all on, but the doors were locked and they couldn't see anyone inside. They decided that Jared needed to go to a hospital, so their best bet was a hospital in another town, two hours away. Six hours of driving later, they're almost out of gas, and the next town is nowhere in sight. In fact, practically nothing is in sight, including road signs, gas stations, or even other cars. The storm hasn't let up since, and they don't have enough gas to make it back to Clearwater. Soon, the car runs out of gas, and Jared succumbs to his wounds. The group sits in the car and waits. Margaret then records another dream she had while sleeping in the car. It continues where her last dream left off, as she stands ankle-deep in a vast river, holding the corpse of her daughter. Her daughter is nigh unrecognizable due to the disease, with her hair fallen out and her skin covered in black scabs. For some reason, however, when she looks at her deceased daughter, she feels hope instead of sorrow. She places her daughter in the river, and the body drifts on the surface until the water engulfs it. Her daughter's body becomes a part of the water, and she knows that her daughter will be taken to the sea where she can be at peace. She then turns and wades back to shore, where she finds the diseased body of her husband and the other survivors. Each survivor is in a similar situation, holding on to the bodies of their children, families, and friends. Each body is taken into the river until only the 18 survivors remain. Margaret wakes up then, to the sound of Jared evaporating. Steam fills the car as the group scrambles around Jared's body, and Margaret sees that his corpse is boiling, bubbles writhing and popping across his skin. Drops of water jump off of him, scalding the others, and his body deforms as it boils and evaporates away. The heat was too great for any of them to touch him or try and stop it, so they just watched as he bubbled and fizzles away, leaving behind a pile of soaked clothing. A pretty inexplicable situation, but the group decides that there's no point in staying in the car and waiting to starve, so they head out into the storm. They walk less than a mile before reaching Clearwater, rather surprisingly for the group. They immediately turned around, walked a few miles, and ended up back at Clearwater. They then decided to head in a different direction, through a field. On the other side, it was Clearwater. 
They were pretty unsettled by the situation, obviously, but figured that whatever was going on in the town was also going on outside of it, and at least the town had food. All of the lights in Clearwater were on, but they couldn't find a single other person, and no cars either. They went to a sporting goods store next to a grocery store, as it had guns, and they began sleeping in shifts. Margaret was on shift with one of her friends, Mike, when he walked off and said he'd be back in a minute. Margaret thought he was going to the bathroom, but she then heard a gunshot. They found Mike's body slumped against a wall with a shotgun barrel in his mouth. Curiously, there was no blood to be seen, but splattered on the wall behind his head was water. As they sat there next to Mike's corpse in shock, one of them eventually reached out and ran her fingers along the wound in the back of his head. Her fingertips were coated in water, causing her to begin reaching into his skull finding only more water. In a panic, she jumped up and grabbed a nearby knife, running the blade across her arm. Water spilled from the wound. They are then drawn to the windows of the sporting goods store, where they see hundreds of people outside, filling the street and standing in the rain. Margaret doesn't recognize any of them, but they are surrounding the building. Soon, one of Margaret's friends leaves the building, and Margaret reflects that she thought she should have done something to stop her, but couldn't, like the thought process was being blocked. As soon as she was outside, the people shifted to allow her through, and she vanished into the dark. The last thing she said before she left was, I don't want to go back. Margaret has one last dream in which she has become the storm. She screams out as wind whips her and the frozen rain bites at her skin, except she doesn't have a body. Every second she rips herself apart and reforms until she is scattered over miles of this storm, trapped. Around her she hears the screams of the other survivors from her village, each part of the storm as well. They struggle against it, but the storm can't be broken. Eventually, she falls, rushing to meet the ground, and for a moment she is embraced by the earth. She feels dirt beneath her feet, the sun on her skin, and crisp air in her lungs. But then, the storm steals her again, pulling her back into it. Margaret wakes up again to find herself alone in the sporting goods store. Her last friend is gone, and there is only a puddle on the floor where she was. Margaret writes that she believes the rain is speaking to her, and she doesn't know what it's saying, but it's growing louder. She knows what it wants her to do. It wants her to rejoin it, because she is the storm's child. The strangers are all still outside, watching and waiting. Margaret knows that there's only one way this can end, whether she starves or kills herself or walks outside. She finishes her journal by writing, The water is eternal. The water will remain no matter how polluted it becomes. At the end, we all become rain. I don't want to go back.
If you haven't quite pieced it together, the people of Clearwater are not exactly people in the normal sense. Most of the time, for all intents and purposes, they are, as the Foundation can't find anything anomalous about the citizens themselves. During the 3300 event every year, however, something changes, and every resident of Clearwater dies by being turned back into the water that makes up this anomalous storm. At the same time, this anomalous storm spits out a new set of people who believe that they have lived in Clearwater their entire lives, thus the weird family that wondered why these people were in their house. The new set of people aren't really normal either during the event, obviously, but once the event is over, they have no memory of being spit out from the storm. Ultimately, this storm is creating new, functional human beings that believe themselves to be as normal as the rest of us until the next year when their existence comes to a crashing halt. The implication of the dreams, however, is that this storm and the 3300 event is the result of a ritual from some point in the past, when a village attempted to save themselves from some horrendous disease. The villagers did indeed save themselves, in a way, by becoming a part of a storm, but it has resulted in the continual and tragic loss of life, even if you don't consider these people to be real human beings. On the surface, SCP-3300 is about the rain and a weird event in a small town, but in the end it's more of an existential piece about the inevitability of our passing and the lack of meaning in our lives. Contemplation about the fleeting nature of life can have a variety of effects on a person, from dread to comfort, making it not that dissimilar to rain.